Hello, Dr. Butler. Thank you for joining me on the Recovering Entrepreneur Show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much, Bobby, for having me as part of your podcast. I'm really excited to be here and to share with your listeners. Yes, I'm excited too. I can't wait to learn more about you. We haven't chatted much in class, so I'm going to learn as much as my audience today, and I'm very grateful for that. So if you don't mind, can you start with maybe an introduction about you personally, and then we'll dive into professionally afterwards? Well, me personally, I'm I'm an old, old lady. Oh, my gosh. Um, But no, I'm I'm a mother, grandmother, uh, wife two times. And uh, so I've been around the world, been around the block a little bit, have some experience under my belt. Um, I started out in life uh, in a small town with, we joke, 500 people, and that was counting the dogs, the cats, the pigs, the chickens, and the cows, uh, an occasional horse or two. Uh, so I grew up in the country. I'm just a country girl and drive a truck sometimes. I do have a truck. People laugh about that because when they meet me, they can never imagine that I would drive a truck. Um Love to go camping. My husband and I have an RV that we we take different places, and it's a lot of fun. And my grandkids are from two years old, and he's a wild man, up to 16. So, yeah, we got a big family, and we just have a lot of fun. I enjoy life. I enjoy helping people. And um, I most of all, I enjoy learning new things. Because as long as you're learning something and you're growing, you're still living and there's still hope. Yes, and it's good motivation to keep going. I'm going to have to pick your brain about the RV offline because that's my goal is to move into one this year so that I can travel like I want to live in it full time. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people that do that. And it is a lot. um, It's really fun. It's really I have I told my husband he grew up camping and I did not. And so when we started on this, I said, we have to look at it as Everything is an adventure. And if you look at it like it's an adventure, there's always something, again, to learn. And um, when things happen that aren't quite, you know, what you expect or hope for, uh, (laughs) you have to ask yourself, what did you learn? Yes, I love that. So now that we've covered personal, um, I love that you have an RV. That's just totally exciting me. (laughs) How about you tell us a little about your career? You said you like to help people. I do. Um, my first career right out of high school and college, my uh, first degree was in the medical laboratory field. So I actually supervised blood banks and chemistry departments and worked in specialty, uh, specialties in laboratories. So um, my first career was very, very analytical. And through that career in the laboratory, I went to work for a company out of France And I traveled the world um, as one of their technical people. And so I became somewhat of an expert in something called electrophoresis. And I won't get into all that because that's a really long explanation. But (laughs) so very, very analytical person. Um, But always wanted to continue my education, as I said, a lifelong learner. And at an old, old age, after my first grandchild was born, I had a call, what I call a spiritual awakening, to return to school. And it was to go in the opposite direction. So all you entrepreneurs, listen up. It was to go in the opposite direction from science. So I got a degree in religion and philosophy. And that's about as far from science as you can get. 
But through that, I actually got my master's degree in uh, divinity. So I am an ordained pastor. And But I discovered through that process of being a pastor for senior adults, um, I worked in the hospital as a chaplain, that sometimes the church doesn't always have what somebody's looking for or what they need or they don't feel comfortable. And worst case scenario is the church actually harms people in some instances. So I decided, you know, something, there, there has to be more. There has to be something else. I have to have an additional piece to go with the spirituality. So I got my degree, my doctorate in psychology. And so I have a private practice where I work with people one-on-one with psychotherapy and counseling. But about mm, five to 10 years ago, my father was diagnosed with dementia. And my mother, of course, was his primary caregiver. But through the process of his decline and going downhill, I had to step in more and more, as a lot of adult children do, And I became, uh, I guess, mom's right hand, her right arm. And dad died uh, the day after Christmas, 2018. So we're coming up on the second anniversary of his death. But during that process, during that, I discovered that people don't like to talk about death and dying. Now, I already knew that from being a pastor for senior adults at the church. But I also learned firsthand what it means as the daughter of an aging parent. What all is involved in taking care of not only running your own household, but trying to help look after them as well. So through that, I created the guardian's gift and I made another turn and I became an entrepreneur. So that's the reason you and I are connected at this point is through this long journey of mine to get to where I am today. I am finally an entrepreneur, and boy, am I learning lots of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a beautiful story. And there's something about this grief topic today that just keeps showing up, which I'll I'll, I'll dive into in a minute. I had told you before we started recording that you reminded me of a friend in Georgia, and she's actually out on work right now taking care of her aging parents. So I kind of have a little bit of chills because you remind me so much of her. Uh, And then the other correlation that I thought was pretty neat is on my other show, it's about addiction. And I have a recovering um, alcoholic. I, I hate using that language, but essentially someone who quit drinking and he has his doctorate in divinity and been a priest and I didn't even know that existed until, you know, the recent months. So I just think that that's such a neat, it has to be such a fun piece of paper. I know it sounds so shallow, but it just sounds so beautiful to me as a degree. So I'm a little simple that way. Yeah, it's not shallow at all. And, you know, and it is fun. That's the thing is people, the you know, humanity, society looks at religion in such a stern way. And they look at death and dying in such a negative, it's, oh, it's morbid you know what, there's a lot of fun in this stuff if people will just open up and talk about it. And that's one of my sticks, if you will, is conversation. As a therapist, of course, that's what I do. But it's about having conversation with people. And I, it's some of the conversations are difficult, yes. But they don't have to be as hard as we make them sometimes. So let me just encourage everybody listening to this. Please, please have conversation with somebody. 
Yes. I want you to do most of the talking, but I have two situations I want to share because I think they're definitely pertinent. And if, if you have any feedback about them, they would be amazing. Okay. So one of my girlfriends lost her brother-in-law and the anniversary is actually this week. Oh. And then on the anniversary of his death, her sister died. So they have oh, the same death day. And um, I saw yesterday, it, it's the first time I, re- I can remember seeing it. But she went on to Facebook and instead of saying, let's call it an anniversary and let's be sad about it, she asked people to post their favorite memories. Oh, that's beautiful. I thought so too. So that's why I'm bringing it up is what did you think of that? Is that a good approach to help people grieve, I guess, like from your experience? Do you have any other like examples that might work like that? Yes, of course, I've got tons of stories. I could sit here and talk all day, but um, that's a beautiful way to to honor that because sometimes we get so bogged down in the grief and we try really hard to avoid those negative feelings. And I'm the worst. I mean, I'll just be honest. It's hard. It's difficult. It hurts. It doesn't feel good. But if we will embrace that and just say, you know what, I'm really sad and I really miss these people and I really loved them a lot. And even if they were stinkers, sometimes people can be real stinkers in life. And but in death, all they become sort of saintly. But, you know, embrace that. Embrace the stories and just, you know, honor them in whatever way feels good to you. The other thing is I'd like to say about that is a lot of times the rest of the world around you thinks that there's some sort of timeline about grief and there's not. People, aren't you over that yet? It's been a year. It's been a year and a half. When are you going to get over it? You don't get over it. You grow with it and it stays with you the rest of your life and you have to learn how to deal with it. But other people, the rest of us, we need to be able to offer some empathy and compassion and say to people, you know, I know you probably miss so-and-so, your brother, your brother-in-law, your sister, whoever that person is. For me, it was my dad, you know, and it's almost two years. I still miss him and I'm going to miss him every day as long as I live. But it's okay. I don't have to walk around with a sad face, even though there's this little place in my heart and everybody has that. And so just understand there's not a timeline and there are going to be triggers that come along throughout the rest of your life that are going to make that person pop up when you think you've quote unquote gotten over it. No, that doesn't work that way. So just understand that it's, you know, it's just a thing. It's part of our life. Grief is part of life. And if you didn't have some grief and sadness, you wouldn't experience the joy and happiness either because there has to be that contrast. um, I, I work with a lot of different people in this realm around death and dying because I help people with the guardian's gift through that actually plan. And if people would begin planning earlier, all you young people out there, listen up. Um, You know, it's you don't have to wait until you're 65 or 70 or 75 or you're on death's door to plan all these things. As a matter of fact, the earlier you plan it, the more joyful it will be. Because if you can collect the stories, which is part of what I do, I collect the stories from their birth. 
And we actually talk about the fun things. And what did you do when you were a kid? Where'd you go to school? Who was your best friend? Who, what was your favorite pet? Did you have a pet? Was it a dog, a cat, a horse, a pig? What was it? And so we talk about all those things in the guardian's gift. And I collect the documents, collect those documents, copy them, and we put them in a book. And then you have the stories. These are stories that children and grandchildren don't know. So the fact that your friend has said, please post the stories that you remember, that is huge. But what if we tell our stories ourselves and we write down the things that happened to us when we were growing up that were important to us? That is so huge. I have a a story that I tell about, you know, when I was growing up and about going to the, we grew up swimming in the river. We weren't supposed to go to the river because it had a current. You could die. You could get caught in the water and die. And I didn't swim very well, but I got caught going to the river when I wasn't supposed to, sneaking away, which kids do. And when I got home, my dad was waiting on me. He was waiting on me in the yard, in the front yard. And I knew I was going to get a spanking because I had done something I wasn't supposed to. And that was my punishment. That's the only spanking my dad ever gave me. I will never forget that as long as I live. But my children will not know that about me unless I write it down for them. Can you walk us through what it looks like to work with guardian gifts? Is it you have individual clients that you're giving them some structure to capture all of this and they like do the families find out after what does that look like can you go a little deeper i can it's uh, there's three different levels of it and there's an online do it yourself version where people when they go into the program they actually um, the forms pop up and they're fill in the blank it's very easy very simple and it's guided it I say to them, here's what you do first. And you fill in the blanks. It says, where were you born? Where were you living? Tell me who your parents were, their maiden name, your mother's maiden name. And then it, I suggest to people, get a copy of your birth certificate. Now, we, I suggest that they not use the original because they want to keep that in a safe place. But a copy and actually write on it copy and put it in a book. And if they, from when they sign up for the program, I will send them a notebook and some other items that will help get them through the process. But every step is is guided in the do-it-yourself version. In the middle version, there's another version that people can sign up for. And we have curation guides. So they make an appointment with someone. It's virtual. And I have some trained people that will actually guide them through the process. Because sometimes a lot of clients will say, I don't know if this is appropriate. I don't know what I should do with um, the wardrobe or the bureau or the desk or this piece of jewelry. And they'll, they'll want to talk it out. And so the guides are trained to listen, to ask appropriate questions and to guide them through the entire process. And then there is a, a top tier version where clients can actually work with me directly one-on-one and I will walk them through. And that's more of a therapeutic process because I actually get involved with families. I work with families to help them uh, counter the end-of-life 
squabbles that brothers and sisters and cousins and all can have. And we work through all of that up front so that that is not an issue on the back end. So there is a, a huge therapeutic component that goes with what I do when someone works with me one-on-one. I, I actually wrote that down about the family. So you're working you're working with people before they're deceased versus the families afterwards. I actually will work with the family afterwards as well. Now, what that looks like is when we work through the process, there's a point in time where you get to where you currently are in life. You start out telling stories from when you were growing up, your first love, your first marriage, your divorce, your first car, whatever. We talk about all that. But then we get to where you currently are in life. And then we pivot and we look to the rest of your life. And then I start asking questions about, well, what does it look like or how are you going to pay for it when you get to a place where you may need some extra help or you may decide that you need to go into assisted living or even, God forbid, like my dad, you should have dementia and you end up in a nursing home. How are you going to pay for that? Then we start talking about your finances. So hopefully by the time that people work through the first part of the process, we've developed a level of trust where they're able to discuss that in an open way so that they can be open enough to hear the questions I ask. Because nursing homes are very, very expensive. They're anywhere from $6,000 on the low end to like ten dollars to $12,000. And this is a month. I'm talking per month. That is two or three or four times the mortgage that people, young people pay for. So we work through not only their finances, but I look at their will. I look at their uh, legal documents and we go over those. A lot of people haven't upgraded their will in a long time. I had a lady come that I worked with and I asked her about her will. She said, well, I don't have one. And I'm like, well, we need to get you a will. And she said, well, I did have one once upon a time. I said, well, if you had one, that means you still have one. And she looked at me real funny. I said, who is the executor of your will that you had? She said, it was my ex-husband. I said, well, I wonder how your current husband would enjoy your ex-husband being the executor of your estate. So people forget that they need to upgrade or update these things. So I walk them through that. I talk to them about what kind of insurance they have or not. And then finally, we get to a place where we talk about their funeral. We talk about their death. We talk about their spirituality. Whether they are a believer or not matters not to me. It matters to them. And what does that look like? And so I work with them around what kind of end of life service they'd like to have, what that will be and how that will take place. And I've actually preached some funerals for clients. I have clients that say to me, I don't have a church. I don't have a pastor. I'm not interested in church or a pastor. But through this process, I've learned that I would like for you to preach my funeral. So, yeah, I've done more funerals than than anything else. But it's a holy moment for me. That's beautiful. I, the other story, I, was, I have so many questions and I love digging deep into this. I don't know if it's just the context of this year. So many things have happened. Oh yeah. I, I just think that, well, I'm going to be selfish and ask you a question because I need to learn something in a little bit. 
But my first question that isn't as selfish and maybe the whole audience can benefit from is what if you have the parents or the people that don't want to address it, right? So I'll make it a hypothetical because in in my case, it really wouldn't be true. But like, let's say there's multiple children Mm -hmm. and mom doesn't want to talk about what her wishes are. And I can foresee me and the siblings fighting over it or, you know, like there's always this, sometimes you don't know about it. It seems like you don't find out until after a person passes how evil people can be, which I think is very disappointing. So I love that you're promoting the planning and the, and the strategic stuff. But what if you're dealing with someone that doesn't want to talk about it? That doesn't like, you know, you're going to be the survivor. Odds are, how do you get, how do you get them to have that conversation and to get movement on this? Well, first of all, uh, let me just say, nobody wants to talk about it. People don't want to talk about death and dying, mostly because people are superstitious. And they think if I talk about it, especially as we get older, it's going to happen. But if one thing we've learned from COVID, sadly, is that we need to talk about it because we don't know when it's going to happen. And we didn't know before COVID when it was going to happen. But now more than ever, um, people need to realize, and they do, I think, how fragile life is and how quickly somebody can be here today and gone tomorrow. But as far as addressing conversations with family members, um, as a therapist and as a pastor, it's quite easy for me to talk to people and people to talk to me. So I have a way um, just I guess just who I am. Maybe it's this Southern charm. I don't know. Um, anyway, and that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, bless your heart. Bless my heart. People will tell me things that they will not tell their their family members. So it's um, if you don't have if you don't have a pastor or somebody that you know that you could bring in to help you with that. It's best to try to address situations, uh, difficult conversations, I call them. Something as simple as, you know, the car keys, giving up the car keys, or having the conversation about the end-of-life plans. You kind of make an appointment, and you say, this is something I'd like to talk about. And you start always start the conversation with I. I feel this is important. I feel, and you don't, because if you do the I feel statement, then you're not, you're not pointing a finger at the other person. Now, it may take more than one time, more than one try to get the senior adult, the parent, to talk about something because senior adults typically are like, I always told my senior adults when I was at the church, they were like overgrown teenagers, but they had money and they had power and they could say no where a teenager can't say no. Teenager has to do what you tell them, right? But for the most part, they're, and I told all of them this, you know, you're like big teenagers with money. And if I say, let's go do this, and you got, no, nah, we're going over here. And I'm like, okay, I have to go over there with them. Um, but it, the funny part is that if you are persistent in a gentle way, eventually you will start getting bits and pieces of the conversation. Keep it focused. Keep it stay on one topic and one topic only. Don't bring up money right away. You know, don't make them think you're after their money. That's that's a typical thought. Uh, the other thing is just a story. I know um, 
I was working with a man who had stage four cancer. And after the conversations he and I had, his his wife and I sat down with his book after he passed. And she said, you know, you learned more about him in a couple of months. She said, I've been married to him for over 30 years. And there are things that I did not know that you told me about. And all of the things that I learned, I put into the book. But then his children had access to those things too. And it went a long way to healing the family because there was some rifts there. But we started the healing process before he passed and working together and having conversations, keep them short, keep them focused, stay on one topic. Don't talk about money first thing. Don't talk about taking away the car keys or moving them into nursing home right away. Start the conversation now. Tell me the stories. Go ahead and start with the stories, just like I do in the Guardian's Gift. Wow. I'm sitting here thinking, what a beautiful, my show isn't, this show isn't going to launch until the new year, but as we're approaching Christmas, I'm thinking this is like a really cool gift. It is a gift. Your services are a gift that are appropriate, especially for the person who has everything, right? Like, I, I love this. It, and it really is a gift for your family. It's not a gift necessarily. Let me say this. It is a gift because when you tell your stories, when we get to tell our stories and somebody really, really listens to our stories, that makes people so happy. It just lifts your soul that you get to tell this story about what you did and how you were. And as we get older, there are less and less people to listen to our stories. But it's also a gift to your Maybe not so much your children. It is because the children might have heard the story before, but your grandchildren and their children. And this is a piece of your legacy. This is a piece of your history that you pass down in generations because families repeat patterns. There are actually patterns that families live out of in their lives. And if you, you know, I map out a family for somebody and I show them that their grandparents or their great-grandparents, and sometimes it's not always great habits, but alcoholism, mental illness, uh, some sorts of behavior patterns that we, you know, some people are just really, really stubborn like me. And I got it honest. I got it from my mom and my dad, you know, and they got it from their parents. So, so things like that, that can be kind of humorous, but true at the same time. Right. But if you can do this ahead of time and get everything in order, then your family, when you pass, can actually grieve and can actually enjoy the stories. You know, when I ended up at my father's casket the day after Christmas two years ago, I stood there and I couldn't even cry. I was so tired. I was so worn out. I had... 500 things I still had left to do and I just couldn't even cry and I just stood there now it hit me later but I would like for it to have been at that moment that I could have relaxed into the grief and let the grief just hold me for a few minutes yeah that makes sense so I'm totally not even getting into entrepreneurial stuff we'll have to cover that before we go Of course. I'm just so intrigued by this topic and I have so many questions. So like you said, nobody likes to talk about it. Right. This isn't my selfish question. 
this is another one that I think everybody could use some help with. Okay. What do you think is the best approach? Like, I feel like on some level, there's an acknowledgement thing, right? Like if somebody at work, or I just met you and you told me about your father, we, we often hear, I'm sorry for your loss or whatever. What do you think is a, a good way to approach that so that it helps the grieving person? think you know that it just acknowledging it is the biggest step some people don't even say anything because they don't know what to say and they they're afraid that they're going to upset the person or they're going to make them start crying because we are so uncomfortable with negative emotions as as a people as human beings and we avoid them we do our best to to get away from them and ignore them uh, when in actuality, that's what we need to do. Uh, I know in other countries around the world, they have uh, people, mourners, who actually wail and, and just moan. And the Western world and, you know, the United States, we are really uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with grief and sadness. But if you can just acknowledge it, I am so sorry that, to hear about your loss. I, I'm, I, that is so, I am so sorry Uh, Just acknowledging it and allowing space for the other person for just a moment to know that you truly see their sadness and their grief. I've gone to two funerals. Well, I've been to a lot, but there's two that I'm going to reference just from this year. And I thought I thought they were both very well done. In March, one of our friends um, had covid and we lost him after a few weeks on the ventilator. We didn't have the services until maybe May or June. It was obviously a while later, and it was a COVID kind of funeral. But what I really thought was beautiful, he was studying to be a priest, as a matter of fact. He's 70 years old. Talk about starting over and shifting gears. And he was just beautiful, beautiful man. And it was in the midst of, so I don't know the timing, but all the craziness with Black Lives Matter and all of that. And um, it was a very diverse funeral. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful because the fellow that preached addressed, like, because Oscar had such a relationship with his God and he was so open about it, it was almost like the true version of celebration. And I don't know if it's sometimes dictated by the people involved in the planning. Um, but from a, I guess I'm just kind of sharing experiences and um, for the people left behind, I found that a lot better for me, you know, for, for going through that loss. It was, a, it was a lot, it was a lot better. And then just recently I, I had gone to Kansas city. One of my girlfriends had lost her husband and he was an avid golfer and I had never seen anything like this, but she did. It was so beautiful. We were at a golf course and it was almost like how weddings have themes. Mm-hmm. This was a golf theme. There were centerpieces with his old golf cards and, you know, flowers out of a golf bag. It was just beautiful. Do you tend to favor these celebrations versus old school or do you just kind of sit back and like if someone was confused? Like there's, there's people who are spiritual, right? So I imagine they have certain practices in mind or, or from a religion perspective, like we're old school Italian. So it's very long, long services when it's a family member and it's up down with the knees and all yeah. that stuff. So 
Um, I've experienced those as well. But if they're undecided, do you advocate one way or another? Do you see, do you see the, that there's a, I don't want to say a better result. I don't know if my question's landing right, but that it's more helpful when people are doing it from a celebratory perspective, or is it just so unique grief across the board? Well, the grief itself is universal. um, And how you demonstrate that is what's unique. So it depends on the family and it depends on, um, I guess, the majority of members that are remaining that are doing the celebration and what is going to be comforting to them. If the person has not made any plans and they, let's say they're not very spiritual or not necessarily religious in any fashion, faith system or whatever, um, you know, then I'll, if I, if the family doesn't have any preferences, I just have to feel my way along as a pastor and just through conversation and questions and counseling to see where everybody is with this. Is it an angry family? Are they angry that this person left and they're dead and they left and they didn't say goodbye and I wasn't there? And so, you know, if it's, if it's an angry situation, then I'll tend to, to help guide in a direction that I feel like might be healing and helpful that way. Um, if, you know, if the family comes together and they are uncertain, but there is an air of spirituality, uh, then it'll go in a different direction. It just depends on the family and what they need. It's not about me or my thoughts or beliefs. It's about what's going to be the best for the family. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So you started Guardian Gifts after your father's passing? I actually started thinking about it before his passing. Um, As I said, he was in a nursing home and my parents were very poor when I was growing up. And so they worked all their lives and they owned their home. You know, they worked hard to pay for their home. And the government, a lot of people don't realize if you don't have like a long-term care insurance or if you don't have enough money to pay and you go into a nursing home and you have to go on Medicaid not Medicare, Medicaid, and they will pay for that, but you have to pretty much be uh, indigent or poverty bound. So they will say, if you own anything, the government wants you to sign it over to them to help pay back, you know, the cost. But my mother was adamant that she wasn't going to do that. She said, I've worked all my life. This is the only thing I have to leave when I die to you and your brother, and I'm not doing that. So I had to figure out a way for my dad to be in the nursing home. And the the answer was to put the house in a trust. And so we did that, but uh, DSS, Department of Social Services, balked at that. And so I ended up, I ended up hiring an attorney and uh, who specialized in, you know, estate planning and such. And we had to have a, a hearing with Department of Social Services. And so I went through a lot and learned a lot like I said, I'm a lifelong learner, so I take notes along the way. But um, but I learned a lot, and we got Dad into a nursing home. And um, so I started thinking about it then. And so, yes, I was thinking about, you know, I was sitting there in, in social services that day, and I'm like, gosh, I can afford to hire an attorney for my parents. There are so many people in here that have no clue and don't realize, and there's got to be a better way. There has to be a better way to do this. So I started thinking about it then. But the day that I was standing there at dad's coffin and I couldn't cry, 
I knew that day, I was like, I'm going to create something. I'm going to come up with some way, some service, some plan to help people through, to help them plan. If I can get them to plan earlier, then it will be so much simpler later. Yeah, I love I love this. You're the third person like in in our ecosystem that has this as a passion. You all have different skill sets aligned with it, but the cherishing the memories, documenting the memories, helping people through the process, planning ahead. I'm seeing a consistent theme across the board with all three of you, which is like you're starting your own movement almost and yeah. it's, it's refreshing. Like I said, as a survivor going to funerals or dealing with death, it sounds so much more relieving or I don't know. I don't know the right words. I'm not being very eloquent right now, but I appreciate what you're doing is the moral of the story. Well, thank you. It, it is. It induces peace. It's peace. It fills your heart with peace. It lets go some of the stress and the strain of having to make decisions when you're in an emotional state and you don't need to be making those kinds of decisions. You know, and then people go back later and they say, you know, oh, I wish I'd done this different or I'm not real sure that I picked out the right music or, you know, there's all these questions that people tend to beat themselves up with later because they don't know, they don't have, if it was planned out, that's my thing, if it's planned out and talked about. Yes. So here's here's my selfish question and situation, if it's okay. Absolutely. So again, in March, um, I lost my biological father. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was the oldest child, but we were estranged for 14 years. But I was responsible. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was very, it was different. It was different. So I kind of have two questions because one of the things there's like the technical stuff, right? Like, would you have any advice for people who are in that situation? But then there was this guilt stuff, this, well, him and his mother passed away within a week of each other. And of course I was still in my corporate job at the time. And I remember them asking me something about days off and I'm like, well, technically I have six, you know, like, let me sort this out in my head. Um, but I, I guess what, was surprising to me was I didn't expect to have grief around him. And, and, and I, I went back and actually said to someone else who doesn't talk to their father in double digit years as well. And I said, listen, you have this opportunity, take it, take it from me. You have this opportunity to kind of sort through that stuff. So any words of wisdom, I guess, for estranged or difficult situations from, uh, I don't know how to make it, better. Like I was so confused. I didn't feel entitled to grieve almost. It was, it was a bizarre feeling. Well, first of all, I'm sorry, you know, for your loss because it is a loss, but it's been a loss a long time. It's not a current loss. You've been in a state of grief for a while because you lost the relationship. What'd you say? 14 years ago. You know, this, this is stuff of therapy. Um, and this is the kind of thing that I would, you know, say to people, this is about if you know the person, you know, you said you were the oldest. Well, with being the oldest child, because I'm the oldest, too, um, there come certain 
quote unquote expectations of who you are and what you'll do and what you'll take care of. And so um, it's if you can, whoever's listening, if you can work through this on your own terms, find a therapist, find someone that you feel comfortable with working this out. It's about setting boundaries. I am a huge proponent of boundary setting. And it's about learning to be open with what has happened in your life. You don't have to like it, but it's about learning to deal with it in your way, not in their way. Because what you're talking about, there could be trauma, there could be abuse, there could be, there's lots of different parts to this. And I don't want to make it too simplistic because it's a very complex issue. Um, But there's, various things that each person who would be in an estranged situation from a biological parent that they need to work through for themselves. You're not doing it for your father. You're not doing it for that other person. You're doing it for yourself. And you can get to a place where with a good therapist that you can set some boundaries and so that you can come to and already begin the grieving process. Like I said, I think you've probably been grieving for a long time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was interesting. Thank you. Because like, like I said, the longer I sat here and knowing that I even know another person in a similar situation, I just thought it was a great point. Um, so I still think this would make an amazing Christmas gift for so many people. So how do people find you? Well, uh, first, let me address the Christmas gift piece. Um it is a wonderful Christmas gift. And if there are people that are interested in the, the process and they want to do it kind of as a Christmas gift, let me make this suggestion. If you're an adult child, say, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, I've just read some posts a few moments ago and there were some people in the post on Facebook that were in their 30s that are in the sandwich generation, caring for their aging parents, but also have children. You can do this with your aging parents because some aging parents are not technologically savvy. And so you could actually give this to them and sit with them at the computer and ask them the questions and sort of help them fill it out and help them through the process. It could actually be a family event. So this is something, because you can't do it all in one sitting, obviously, but it's something that they could do as a family. You know, if you've got teenagers, you could get the teenagers involved and let them type in, ask the questions and type in the answers. And it could be sort of a family fun event. Like I said, it doesn't have to be morbid. It can be a lot of fun. Um, But the way people can get in touch with me is they can, I'm on Facebook at Butler Counseling and Consulting. Um, or they can look on Facebook for The Guardian's Gift. They can find me that way. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram, uh, Dr. Judy Butler or at Butler Counseling Consulting. And so they can find me on Alignable. They can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I think that's all of those. Um, and I have a website. So I have a website, butlercounselingandconsulting.com. Perfect. We'll get, we'll get all of that definitely published as well. Is there anything, I I know I didn't cover entrepreneur stuff as much as I think I normally would have expected, but I love where this went and I learned so much and I got so much value. So I'm sure the audience did as well. 
Is there anything that you wanted to mention or share that I might not have gotten to that kind of a question? Um, there's so many questions uh, that if somebody wants to um, contact me at my, give me an email, send me an email, ask me a question, I'll be glad to answer it for them. It's Judy at Butler Counseling Solutions with an S.com. They can email me. But I do have a gift for your listeners. And if your listeners are interested, I have a PDF document. It's a, it's a guide of how to have conversations, or it's actually called Closer to Closure, uh, 12 Actions for 12 Conversations. So it's a guide about the conversations. It's a guide, sort of a checklist of things that you might want to think about or get done, wills, trust, and um, medical healthcare power of attorney, those kinds of things. So if they're interested in it, it is free. It typically sells for $37 on my um, at the school's website. and uh, But they can get that if they will just send me an email and say, you know, I was listening to you and Bobby talk and uh, on her podcast. And because I was listening to that, you said something about this free offer of Closer to Closure, and I'll send it to them. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Butler. That is awesome. Absolutely. All right. Now I'm really curious about, this is my last little fun surprise question. Okay. Once I start publishing, everybody will know what my question is, so I'll have to change it. But top of mind, it doesn't have to be business, but what is your favorite book? Um, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Perfect. It's actually a child's book, but I love it. Okay. Uh, I'm having so much fun with this question because it's the answers are so diverse. I kind of expected everybody to say Napoleon Hill or Dale Carnegie, but that's not what's happening. So <laughs> it's another uh, piece of the puzzle that's very interesting. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate all your time today. I got so much value out of this. I love the message that we should be talking about death and dying. Like that's one of my biggest takeaways mm-hmm. that there's options that this experience could almost be fun setting it up. Like when you talked about family time at the computer, prepping it. And then with your career and your history, like we're never too old to change. It doesn't matter where we come from. It matters where we're going and being a, a lifelong learner. So those are my biggest takeaways. Wonderful. That's exciting. I'm glad you got that. That's, I've done my job today. <laughs> yes, you did fabulous. So thank you so much for being here. And thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.